Today, we're going to continue in the series, Dancing with David. We're going through the life of David and looking at what it can teach us out of the Word of God. And I've entitled this sermon today, Dancing with Depression. I mentioned before, but David's life is just a series of uh, incredible ups and downs. And I think that's why we can relate. That's the way life is. Uh, it has to do much of it with overcoming those, those tough times, tough moments. And all of us in our lives have had to deal with serious discouragement. Some of us have had to deal literally with clinical depression where physically something happens in our body that needs to be medicated. And that is a very real thing. But there's also this truth. The Lord cares, the Lord helps, and the Lord can pull us out of our discouragement and our depression. This is called A Psalm in a Hotel Room written by Joseph Bailey. And it kind of explains how we can feel at times in life. Bailey says, I'm, a, I'm alone, Lord, alone a thousand miles from home. There's no one here who knows my name, except the clerk, and he spelled it wrong. No one to eat dinner with, laugh at my jokes, listen to my gripes. Be happy with me about what happened today and say, that's great. No one cares. There's just this lousy bed and slush in the street outside between the buildings. I feel sorry for myself, and I have plenty of reasons to. Maybe I ought to say I'm on top of it. Praise the Lord. Things are great, but they're not. Tonight, it's all gray slush. That was written by Joseph Bailey, and he and his wife lost three of their children. One at eight days after surgery, another at five years after leukemia, and a third at 18 years in a sledding accident in the snow. How do you overcome that? And yet Joseph Bailey went on to serve God, pull through his pain, and write many books that blessed many people. Somehow, some way, when we look to God, he'll pull us through even the worst of times. How do you overcome deep heartache? We're going to talk about that today. Let's pray. Father, Come now, Lord, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, there's some wounds in this house that uh, most of us would never know about, but you can just reach deep into a heart and bring peace. And I pray that you do a work that no physician, no medication, that no one else can do. Jesus, you're the great physician. Come and touch our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So three things I want to share with you today, three main points about remembering and overcoming discouragement. Remember, the following will help us overcome discouragement. First is this, in times of trouble, put your hope in God. Now that seems pretty simple, but let's read this story and see how hard it can be sometimes. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They'd attacked Ziklag and burned it. Remember, David and 600 men had moved to a place in the country where Saul wasn't pursuing him. He was now in the, the territory of the enemy, and that's why Paul wouldn't cross that border, or Saul, rather, the king. And, and so he had this happy little town where everything was okay for a while, and suddenly he comes home, and the town is burned down. Verse 2, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old, they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. 
When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever done that? David's two wives have been captured. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. And that means with rocks, not with weed, as uh, people speak these days. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. How do you find strength in the Lord your God in the worst moments of life? His family was gone. Everyone was angry and blaming him. His leadership was challenged and in jeopardy. He was close to death. He was greatly distressed. How do you put your hope in God? David couldn't think about just those moments. He had to remember that God in the past had shown that he was good and loving and powerful and David believed in those moments that God wanted to help him. You know, I would like for you to believe in these moments, no matter where you're at in life and what you're going through. If you could just get to this point, believe that God wants to help you. When it comes to discouragement and depression, one of the things we've noticed as we deal with people is they've really decided that God doesn't care about them, that God doesn't know where they're at, that God doesn't know their name. But David had to be thinking of a good, loving, powerful God who wanted to help him. We hear a lot today about positive thinking, and sometimes, you know, people come alongside you and say, hey, cheer up, God is good, and um, you're just really hurting. Well, I don't think this was positive thinking, because remember, he wept aloud until he had no strength to weep. It's kind of hard to be positive or say positive words when you're saying that. He felt terrible. And yet somehow, he looked to God. It wasn't strength of positive personality. He found his hope in the Lord. Ephesians 6.10 says this, A final word, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Can you see that? That it's not your power. It wasn't David's power that he was believing in. He was weeping because of his circumstances. And he wasn't thinking, I can fix this, because he didn't know how he would or how he could. That's why he was crying. He looked at the Lord's power and not his own. And I would say that this way, I can't, but he can. That's absolutely the right attitude. It's true in many circumstances that you can't, but he can He'd lost his wives, children, land, possessions. Public leadership was in jeopardy. But he found strength by placing his hope in the Lord. I want to read you a story from a book by Ron Mel called The Tender Commandments. I loved Ron Mel. He pastored at Beaverton Foursquare for so many years in this area and was instrumental in me going into the ministry. And uh, he has such a proper perspective of God's love. And he, um, he writes a story that shows us the heart of God. Let me read it to you. It says, He was a strong man facing an enemy beyond his strength. 
His young wife had become gravely ill, then suddenly passed away, leaving the big man alone with a wide-eyed, flaxen-haired girl not quite five years old. The service in the village chapel was simple and heavy with grief. After the burial at the small cemetery, the man's neighbors gathered around him, and one said, please bring your little girl and stay with us for several days. She shouldn't go back home just yet. Broken-hearted, though he was, the man answered, thank you, friends, for the kind offer, but we need to go back home where she was. My baby and I must face this. So they returned, the big man and his little girl, to what seemed an empty, lifeless house. The man brought his daughter's little bed into his room, and they faced that first dark night together. As the minutes slipped by that night, the young girl was having a dreadful time trying to sleep, and so was her father. What could pierce a man's heart deeper than a child sobbing for a mother who would never come back? Long into the night, the little one continued to weep. The big man reached down into her bed and tried to comfort her as best he could. And after a while, the little girl managed to stop crying, but only out of sorrow for her father. Thinking his daughter was asleep, the father looked up and said brokenly, I trust you, father, but it is as dark as midnight. Hearing her dad's prayer, the little girl began to cry again. I thought you were asleep, baby, he said. Papa, I did try. I was sorry for you. I did try, but I couldn't go to sleep. Papa, did you ever know it could be so dark? Why, Papa? I can't even see you. It's so dark. Then through her tears, the little girl whispered, but you love me even if it's dark, don't you, Papa? You love me even if I don't see you, don't you, Papa? For an answer, the big man reached across with his massive hands, lifted his little girl out of her bed, brought her over into his chest, and held her until she fell asleep. When she was finally quiet, he began to pray. He took his little daughter's cry to him and passed it up to God. Father, it's as dark as midnight. I can't see you at all, but you love me. Even when it's dark and I can't see you, don't you? From the blackest of hours, the Lord touched him with new strength, enabling him to carry on. He knew that God went on loving him, even in the dark. It is a fact that this is not heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that this is a place where there's crying and tears. The Bible says that heaven's a place where there's no more pain, no more more sorrow, no more tears. But it is also a fact that as a child of God, if you will reach to your loving Father, He will hold you. And you can trust Him. He is for you. He is with you. And in your time of trouble, if you can put your hope in Him, you'll see Him come to you. Ephesians 3 says this, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. And I, I just want to say that love is for you. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great you will never fully understand it. Then you'll be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. David had to remember in the darkest hour of his life 
that God was there and he put his hope in him. And we have to remember that as well in our dark hour. Put your hope in the Lord. God had a good plan for David and God has a plan for us too. Now the second point today. When life gets you down and you don't know what to do, ask God for direction. 1 Samuel 30, verse 7, Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Now in my studies, I found something interesting this week that I did not know. The irony here is that David ran away from his homeland to Ziklag without inquiring of the Lord. Now he's facing some pretty tough things. He had 16 months that are recorded in history. That's how long he was at Ziklag. 16 months where there was no significant writing or connection with God that is spoken of in the scriptures. So he went on his own and did his own thing. Why? It seemed to make sense. He was running from a king. It seemed like he was safe for a season. The king that was trying to kill him. He aligned himself, however, with the enemy, the Philistines. And during that time, there's no record of any psalm that he ever wrote in those 16 months. So it seems like he just goes dark with God for about 16 months. He didn't seek the Lord for direction and it appears that he lost touch for a season. Have you ever done that? I mean, we can have dry moments even when we love the Lord, right? And then sometimes we can just say, this is what seems best to me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. But David, in this scenario somehow remembered and decided, I'm going to inquire of the Lord this time. I remember several years ago, uh, I was praying at, at, at an altar with a young lady who was uh, in desperate times. Her marriage was on the rocks. And, uh, and really, in retrospect, I can say this confidently, she was not doing the right things. She was not listening to the Lord. And her marriage was close to ending and it would have been pretty easy to put back together if she'd just take the right steps. So I remember, I think Pastor John was with me at the altar, maybe Pastor Tom, but we were praying with her together. And as I prayed for her, I felt like the Holy Spirit was really moving and gave her something that, you, you know, you can, you can pray and sometimes you don't even know it, but it's, it's prophetic. The Lord will just speak peace and, and direction into, into people's lives. And it's not really all that uncommon when people start to pray for you. You get to examine everything yourself for sure and see if it's from the Lord. But it's not unlike the Lord to move in those moments to help people with the gifts. And I thought that was happening in that setting. But when we got done praying, she said, can I pray now? I said, Sure. And she said, Lord, you know I'm not comfortable with that. And I just pray you'd meet me the way I want you to meet me. And I pray that you would do this for me. Well, and then she prayed something that, uh, it was just dumb. It was just dumb. It was disobedient and it was, it was dumb. And I probably, maybe should have said, that's really dumb. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I said, I, I did speak to her and say, you know, that was a nice prayer. But I really feel that the, what I prayed for you before, that the Lord was in that. Well, she didn't listen. 
And it wasn't just that. She really went against the word of God. And um, before long, that marriage was over and done. And she was in deep despair along with the husband that she left. It's true we can do what we want. God will not force you to do anything. But it's also true that we can move out from under the covering of the Lord. Now, let me explain that to you for a moment. You follow the Lord and there's blessing in it. Doesn't mean everything's going to go well, but it does mean that the best life you can live on this earth will be lived as you follow his word and his truth. If you choose to be disobedient and move out from under that truth, now you've essentially said to God, I want to be on my own. And God says, okay, I'd sure like to cover you, but if you want to be on your own, I'll let you do that because he gives you free choice. You choose God. He doesn't make you serve him. And hasn't it been a series of mistakes that causes us to know when we get beyond the boundaries, we get hurt, that makes us want to stay within the bounds? I mean, that's maturity. You step out there and you just get zapped and you, you, you step back in and say, hey, that's what he said and it's safe here. I don't know if that's a good explanation, but we really can move out from under his covering. And I think David had done that for a season, but now he says no more. Isaiah 48, 18 says, Oh, that you had listened to my commands. Then you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling like waves. David remembered that the Lord was good. He inquired of the Lord. And he had to be thinking thoughts like this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Jeremiah 29, 11. I believe though it was written for the people of Israel, that it's written for the people of God. For I know the plans I have for you. Did you know God has plans for your life? That's why you want to follow him. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. David's response now is, shall I pursue them? Which is kind of remarkable. I mean, this is one of the really hard moments where it seems obvious. I'm assuming he liked his wives and children, but he comes into camp, it's all burned down, and you can see tracks where they took off, and he takes the time to say, God, should I go after them? Sometimes, and even the things that seem obvious to us, we need to remember to inquire of the Lord. If not, we'll look back and say, shoot, I don't think I asked about that one. And then we'll have to just kind of adjust and get back on track. But remarkably, in that situation, after they'd taken up stones to kill him, after this great discouragement that had come upon him where he wept till he had no strength left, he inquires of the Lord. And the Lord gave him only a general, non-specific plan. Now, be honest with yourself. Doesn't that kind of bug you when God just gives you a general, non-specific plan sometimes? Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, can't you just see uh, David saying, Lord, just a little bit more here, please. But, but all he said was, pursue them and you will win. Pretty non-specific. The point here is, you start, take the first step towards where I'm saying, and I'll guide you a step at a time to victory. That's pretty much how it works in life. We want to leap there right now, but it hardly ever works that way. Every now and then, there's just a massive, instantaneous turnaround. But that's not usually the way it goes in life. 
Usually it's step by step where we're feeling better and better and better and better and pretty soon we're just in a new land with a new lease on life. The Lord's answer is clear but abbreviated sometimes. Pursue, you will succeed. And David just gathered up the troops and for some reason they found the, uh, the wisdom to follow him even though they were ticked off at him. James 1.5 says this, if you need wisdom, now we're talking about direction for your life. Maybe you're sitting down and you're feeling sorry for yourself and, and maybe you have really good reason for that. The problem with pity parties is the only one who shows up is the devil. And if we're sitting too long, he'll just speak more and more bad stuff and we'll buy into it. And the irony is we think those bad thoughts are ours. We don't even recognize it's the voice of the enemy saying all those things. You know, he can't live in, in you, but he can try to influence you as a believer to, to buy into thoughts that will hurt you. And James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you. I mean, it would have been good enough for me for the word to say, and he will tell you. But it says he will gladly tell you, which lets me know he's more interested in helping me than I am in getting help sometimes. He will not resent your asking, the scriptures say. It may be just one small step of faith. For David, it was go, okay, here we go. And he took the step. Not knowing exactly where they were. This is a blog from one of the young mothers in our church. She was battling with clinical depression and taking medication. And she writes about it in this blog. She felt like the Lord was telling her to get up and vacuum. Now, that doesn't seem very spiritual, does it? But that was something she couldn't find the strength to do because sometimes when you're in uh, that depressed state, um, people can't move. And she says this, I'll pick it up in her blog now. I looked around the house and realized it was a disaster. I started picking up toys. Once the floor was visible, the only logical next step was to vacuum. Maybe this wouldn't be so hard if there was music on, she thought. So up went the volume of Crystal Lewis's voice and her modern version of Timeless Hymns. Hems have always comforted me, she says. The vacuum seemed to weigh a ton as the first song, Holy, 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 played. But it seemed to get much lighter during His Eye is on the Sparrow. And then, Wisdom of Tenderness. And by the chorus of, Oh, Happy Day, I was singing so loudly I thought my neighbors might complain. I found myself vacuum dancing with my three-year-old around his room trying to focus more on the words than how not to get tangled in the cord. Great is thy faithfulness. Jesus paid it all, and there is a fountain followed. And I sang along, worshiping in spirit and in truth. No mask, no pretenses, no looking around, just a simple glorifying of my Lord with the added bonus of a fresh and clean carpet. As the songs filled the air and the music in my heart was poured out through my mouth, I became weightless in spirit again. I was believing the words. Depression's dead weight was no longer attached to me. Sometimes 
As with Elijah, she says in 1 Kings 19.5, all we need to do in order to overcome depression is respond to, obey a simple command of the Holy Spirit. The angel told Elijah to get up and eat, and he told me to get up and vacuum and worship. There was a release in the instant obedience and a miracle hidden in the smallest of efforts. Twelve hours later, I was questioning if I was healed. I struggled a little bit that day and the next. I had another panic attack a few days later and thought, where's that blessed assurance? But the Lord in his gentle way kept drawing my mind back to the vacuum dance. I needed to take hold of grace, the same amazing grace offered to every thirsty soul. After that last panic attack, The week following the dance, there was no sign of depression or anxiety left in me anywhere. I stopped taking Welbutrin. There was no reason for the pills. When my worship was genuine and focus was on Christ and what took place on the wondrous cross, there was nowhere for depression to take root. Now let me say, I'm not at all suggesting that people drop their medications. I don't understand that. I think doctors, uh, God, God gave us good medicine and it's helpful. <clears throat> However, you can't convince me that God can't heal depression because I've seen him do it over and over again. And in a moment, he can do something that's incredible. Or he can give you a moment to look back to that reminds you, that's an anchor to say, I remember, I have to lean into what he, what he has showed me. And the Lord is so good, he will, at the very least, start to take you from the, to the next step. If not instantaneous, the next step. Psalm 42, 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him, again, my Savior and my God. Now, I just want to point out that I think there's a, there's a correlation between praise and overcoming depression. I mean, it happened in that story, the vacuum dance, you know. I thought that was really appropriate illustration because we're doing the whole dancing with David thing. And she's speaking, you know, David got one step and she got one step. Just go. And I can tell you, there was a moment in my life where I, I may have been depressed and didn't know it. It was when I was very young and the Lord told me to praise. And when I do, did, I didn't want to. As a matter of fact, I told God, I don't, I don't feel like it. You know the best time to praise God? It's when you don't feel like it. It's the very best time. Because he will lift you up and something happens. And it says there, I will praise him again. I'll put my hope in God. And when life gets you down and you don't know what to do, ask God, and when he gives you direction, just, just move. Just take next step and trust him and see what he does. Third thought this morning. Trust and obey and God will help you overcome. In both these cases, the case of the vacuum dance and the case of David, God gave them a direction to go. And God in his graciousness sometimes tells us what to do, but if we don't do it, we can't experience what what he has, right? If we refuse to go that direction because we know a better one or like a better one or like me, just don't, you know, I don't feel like it. I feel bad. I deserve to to feel bad because bad things are happening. We can do that to ourselves, can't we? 
Yet, if we'll trust and obey, and I really like what that young lady said about focusing on Jesus and the cross. Focusing on his power and what he's done rather than my power and what I can do. She took that step. She trusted and obeyed. David took a step. Look here, chapter uh, 30 of 1 Samuel, verse 9. David and the 600 men with him came to Besor. So he moves, he goes. A ravine where some stayed behind. For 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and the 400 men continued the pursuit. So they started and they continued. He could have said, Lord, couldn't you just give me uh, some coordinates for a GPS here? Because I don't really know how to find them fast. They could be dead in a few days. They could pass through a river and cover their tracks. But God, I really need more than just this step. But David, David didn't complain or sit around. He moved and his men moved with him. What is required of us in dire circumstances is not our ability to know the future, but our faith in the one who does and a trust to follow him when he shows us the way. I want to read that again. It's on the screen for you. What is required for us in dire circumstances is not our ability to know the future, but our faith in the one who does and a trust to follow him when he shows us the way. So they're on the way. They don't know how to find them really, but they come upon an Egyptian slave as they're, as they're trying to find him. He had been abandoned by the Amalekites and had been with this group that had raided Ziklag and taken the, taken the wives and children. He had been sick and his master just threw him aside and left him to die. And David shows up and he tells David, I, I know where they're going to be. And David understands that there's truth. He discerns it. And he pursues where this man says to go. And pick it up at verse 17. David fought them. They find them. And they fought them from dusk until evening of the next day. Did you know there's not a physical fight for us when we're trying to win a spiritual battle? But there, there is a spiritual fight. The Bible says fight the good fight. Part of that getting up and moving and going the direction you don't want to go sometimes when the Lord speaks is fighting in, in the spiritual realm. Part of taking the time to be in the word and the time to pray is you're doing battle. You're inquiring of the Lord. David fought. From dusk until the evening of the next day and none of them got away except for 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. And David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. So David follows in faith. God gives him complete victory. I don't know what your battle is, and I don't know how long it'll take you to win it, but I'll tell you this. If you'll trust in the Lord, you will get complete victory. You say, how can you know that? Now, victory may not be what you have in your mind, mind you, but God knows what real victory is. And if you'll trust him, he'll lead your mind to think the right way. One of the prayers I pray when I'm a little bit confused is, Lord, would you help me to feel the way you want me to feel? Isn't that a strange prayer? But I just know myself. And sometimes I don't, I'm not feeling the way that God wants me to feel. 
Feelings, this is an American misnomer. We make feelings the engine. Feelings should never be the engine. Faith should be the engine and feelings should be the caboose. We should be led by faith and make our feelings follow. You say, you can't do that. Yes, you can. I know, I've done it many times. I'm not feeling right, but I see what the Word says and say, okay, that's what you say. Lord, I'm going to do it. And I make my feelings follow and pretty soon things get better. David followed in faith. He didn't follow his feelings and everything was recovered. People, property, flocks, herds. You say, how do you know I'll get complete victory? Because I can tell you this, either here, there, or in the air, you get complete victory. David put his hope in God. He sought his direction. He followed and when God pointed the way and he followed through, God made him an overcomer. And God will do the same for us as well. Maybe it'll be suddenly. Maybe it'll be in a day. Maybe it'll be in weeks and months. But I believe this. It can get better every day as you trust the Lord. I want to share with you a story of a trial that my family and I have just gone through and are still going through to some degree. Candace is our 18-year-old daughter who graduated from Horizon Christian High School here last year. And uh, she had... She had a tough year last year, senior year, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. The, f- the first thing we noticed was a, a problem her junior year when her athletic performance fell off a little. As a sophomore in track, she was, I believe, third in the long and triple jump and really one of the best young athletes in the district. Her coach was looking to her to do great things, and then her junior year, she was training hard and she fell back instead of going forward, and that was discouraging to her. Her senior year, it became even worse physically, a big trial. She was losing stamina, even though she was trying to work hard. She couldn't do exactly what she had done before in the workouts, and she appeared to be, of all things, as she was training hard, losing strength. She fell back in her times and distances. That This is in her senior year, Times and distances that were equal to her freshman year. And we could not figure it out. Now, when you've been a pretty good athlete and you've been at the top in all the meets, even the invitationals, you know, the top few, as she was as a sophomore, and you start to decline, it it can upset a person. And Candace was distraught. Um, At every track meet, we would see her not do well, and then she'd pull away and just cry. It was hard for us as parents. In a way, you know, nobody's dying as far as we know. And, um, you know, God still loved her and was with her. We knew that, and I think she knew that. But at the same time, um, she was distraught. And when your daughter's distraught, distraught it, it's, it's hard. But we just encouraged her to lean into God and... and uh, you know, we, we tried to let her know what all of us should know is that performance has nothing to do with God's love for us. You don't have to perform well to be loved and appreciated if it's working right by your family. And you always need to know that, that's, that God doesn't love you because of your performance. She was crying out to God, please help me, but no answer came for 
why she was doing so poorly and no help came. You ever feel that way? And during this trial, a godly woman sent a scripture on Facebook and Candace embraced it. This was the scripture. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. That doesn't even seem to make sense, <laughs> does it? But it does. Now we make our feelings follow faith. When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. Candace has that scripture framed and sitting on her desk. And even though she, I mean, I think Candace was close to depression. We, we were worried. But she decided to lean into God instead of away from him. And she grew in her faith. She decided to trust him. She got deeper into the word and her devotions. And she trusted God even though she couldn't make sense of everything. She never recovered her athleticism. She didn't achieve her goal of going to state. She missed by one inch her sophomore year. But she did grow in the Lord. In the midst of a trial that she was facing, she grew in God. One month ago, while Candace was at the doctor's office, it was noticed that her pulse rate was high and Karen had mentioned it had been high a couple times before and asked the doctor if that would be alarming and she said yes. Well, they checked it again and it was 140 beats per minute, her heart rate as she was just sitting there. And she reached up to Candace's throat and she said, oh my, we have a problem here. And uh, she said, there's a thyroid issue. And to make a long story short, um, we just, it was just discovered about three weeks ago that Candace, our daughter, has Graves' disease, which is a hyperthyroid issue that causes muscle weakness and fatigue. It's not hypo, that slows things down. Hyper, speed things up. So when Candace would work out, her heart rate would go to over 200 beats per minute and it couldn't come down. And it would be just like you're exercising all the time and thus the, the fatigue and now it all made sense, and Candace was almost happy when she figured it out, as weird as that, as that seems. But, but it just, it just, at least there was a reason. It, it wasn't her. I said to her later, because I, you know, Karen and I were very compassionate because she was just on the edge. I mean, she, she was just so distraught and, and embarrassed because she had once been good and now she wasn't. And... Um, so we were very careful, but there were times that I said things like, um, well, honey, just work hard, you know, when I, we didn't know, and um, do what they ask you to do, and, you know, make the best of it. You can do it. Sometimes when people are in a bad place, it really doesn't help when we try to come alongside, because we don't, we don't know what people are going through. We really don't. We have our little trite things, and I, I went back to Candace when I discovered and realized all she'd been going through and I said, honey, I'm sorry. I wish, I wish I'd have known because I'd have been, I'd have been even more careful, sweetheart. And the truth is, I thought she wasn't very tough and I had no idea how tough she was being. To work through that and still train was, it shouldn't have been able to happen. When I say train, I don't know if you know how they train around here at the high school, but ask someone. It's pretty intense. I 
read about um, Joseph Bailey, who lost the three kids that I spoke of earlier. And he wrote something that said something like this. When, when I lost a child, a friend came and sat beside me and spoke all the things that he wanted me to know about God's there for me. And he talked so long that I was moved, but only moved that he would go away. And then a friend came and sat beside me and listened to me and cried. And that's the friend that helped me. So a word for the church. Since we don't know what people are going through, if we could just be there in a loving way, if we could just be um, God's love coming to people, Oh, you can give words of direction, but we need to be really careful. And really a good prayer is, Lord, should I speak what I'm thinking? I don't know about you, but that's a great prayer for me because I have lots of thoughts that aren't the right things to say. Well, when Candace found out and I told her, honey, I'm sorry, and she said... It's okay, Dad. She said, Dad, even though it was the hardest thing I've ever been through, I wouldn't change it. I have more compassion for people. I know how they feel. I can understand and I care for people who hurt. And I know how to help them now more than ever before. That's music to a dad's ears there. When your children... I believe God feels this way when his children say, Lord, thank you for the good times and for the hard times because I've grown and I'm better. Something is happening right. Candace trusted. She followed God and he's blessed her and and I believe he's gonna use her in greater ways than ever before because I don't believe the Lord trusts you with a trial like that unless he's gonna bring something forward that's good. How about that thought, that God would trust you with a trial to build you so you could help others? Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God. Now, please notice, because people misread this. God didn't say everything is good in that scripture. It's not good when someone you love dearly passes away. That is not a good thing. It is good that you can see them in heaven. But it says that he'll make everything, including every bad thing, he can make it work for good. Isn't that a great promise? God causes everything to work together for good, the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He has a purpose for you and I. He'll help you through this trial. And can, can you see it? Can, can you see How the daddy who lost his wife has encouraged hearts even this morning in that story. Can you see that? Can you see how the young mother in this church who did the vacuum dance and was going through depression, can you see how God is is actually using that today? Can you see how even Candace's trial, that the Lord might speak to someone today and say, hey, Lord, if you help someone else, you can help me through too. I'm gonna trust you. 
God makes things work together for good. And God can use you after he heals you to bless others in a great way.